well it's it's great to have this opportunity to be together like this uh, obviously i've been very much just a word to those in the united states i've really been very much on my knees in my heart over these this last couple of weeks really but particularly this week um on my knees in my heart carrying carrying things uh, i believe from the lord uh, realizing just the significance of things that are taking place um, <clears throat> some of you know i make it my business to read quite widely and um even just recently um a book came into my hands the title of which is live not by lies live not by lies which is a quote from a a kind of a final message that alexander solzhenitsyn spoke in russia before he left a kind of letter of warning uh, live not by lies the author is a man named rod dreher d r e h e r and it, it is a book which is um i think the subtitle is something like uh, a message for dissidents for Christian dissidents, how to live in days of adversity. And the, the live not by lies, of course, some of you in Poland, uh, most of you, or some of you are too young to remember the communist regime. And but some of you will remember, Piotro will remember, he was a, a young man in those days. And Leszek and Jagoda from Lublin, they will remember. And the incredible way in which the falseness of a kingdom was built up in the days. Uh, of communism uh, i had the opportunity um, to visit places like thailand and then fly across sometimes to what was called burma in those days which was socialist the incredible difference in the late 70s and early 80s between those two countries thailand and burma was amazing burma used to be called the rice bowl of asia but when socialism took hold of it uh, it ceased to be fertile the the living by lies that came in and east germany Czech, uh, Czechoslovakia as it was and this uh, construct of lies and 
you you would say what's this got to do with the united states what this got to do with the west uh, with europe and so on what's this got to do with the church and i've been doing this series um and mark has kindly arranged it that i could just share my heart a little about church in these latter days and her form her shape we're all aware that the church was established <clears throat> through the death through the life death resurrection ascension and the outpouring of god's spirit that it's it's built upon the foundation of jesus christ i've been going through a little bit one corinthians on this and we arrived last sunday evening in the little hall uh, in one corinthians 3 so if you've got a a bible handy it'd be good to follow a little in in the corinthian letter the first letter chapter three and we arrived last week just at this point where paul is talking a little bit about the nature of the church his constant emphasis though it might be hidden from us at this constant emphasis his is how unworldly the church is the true church it comes from heaven it comes from god all of its provision all of its supply all of its uh, pattern comes from heaven and that has a very wonderful root in the old testament you remember that in the old testament in when god gave the pattern of the tabernacle to moses on the mountain make it according to the pattern i showed you on the mountain make it according to that pattern and he endowed certain men who perhaps some of you can remember their names bezaleel and aholiab he equipped them with uh, grace wisdom a definite impartation of the spirit for the use of their hands and minds <clears throat> to interpret those patterns uh, in the construct uh, of the of the tabernacle and the same thing occurred of course with the building of the temple this was not something that was allowed to be built according to the patterns of men david was given the pattern by the lord by god god gave him the pattern and then of course solomon was the one who was granted the grace and to uh, 
and the provision to do the actual building, to oversee it. And so everything about that in the Old Testament came from above, did not come from beneath. And it's the same with the church. You know that, uh, I, I'll say the obvious in, in all this, but um, if you look at the, toward the end of chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, and Paul is, Paul is dealing with a church in Corinth that was well known to him. Uh, in verse 11 of chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, he says about his ministry, I laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul was utterly aware of who he had brought to Corinth. Uh, I don't say what he had brought to Corinth. I don't say the doctrines he had brought to Corinth. I don't say the teachings that he had brought. He had brought a person. And a person was the foundation there in Corinth. And he knew that he had brought that person And because, of course, Paul himself was far more than a teacher, far more than an evangelist. Um, He was an apostle and not a self-styled apostle like sometimes we get today, but he was no stranger to Jesus Christ. The whole of Paul's life had been destabilized. His foundation in Judaism had been destabilized. The building, the construct of his life had been completely destabilized uh, so that he no longer trusted in his own righteousness. He he no longer trusted in his being a child of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. All of those things which he counted as advantageous to him, they'd all been removed. The whole foundation that he had that had been in his life was changed and his life had been destabilized. He talks about this in certain other places in some of his letters. He, he, in fact, he goes so far in Philippians three as to say that all that was advantageous to him, he counted it as awful. It was, it was inedible. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't substance. He counted it all 
as nothing. Um, and you know, this is one of the significant things about real apostles and real ministers. You and I can bring no one to where we have not and do not live ourselves. So there has to be this work of grace that goes on in us where we are stripped, destabilized, the things in which we are conscient, confident, mm. they, they need to be removed. And Paul, you know, in chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, if you slip over your page, um, he's talking a little bit about the ministers that had been working in Corinth. He says, I've laid the foundation. Um, I think it was last week I mentioned a little bit from 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul uses another image. In fact, it's not really an image. He talks about his ministry in this way. He says, I espoused you to one husband. I espoused you to one husband. Jesus Christ. That's what I did, Corinthians. That's what I did. And I'm very fearful for you, lest your minds should be corrupted, defiled, deceived, so that you slip away from that foundation. In fact, Paul is being very kind. Of course, he knew that they were slipping and that some of the ministers that had come among, among them, chapter 3, uh, had been completely false. They hadn't come from God at all. And then some of the other ministries that they had listened to and that had constructed and done things, well, some of them, Paul suspected, were were using wood, hay and stubble, not things that had been through the fire. So Paul's whole thinking is about the temple. And when he talks about himself in chapter 4 and Apollos, his friend, he says, let a man so consider us, this is verse 1 of chapter 4, as servants of Christ. And, you know, I'm wanting to talk a little bit about the true foundational ministries. The true foundational ministry, where it comes from. That it doesn't come from experts in music. It doesn't come from a Bible college seminary trained orators. It comes from those who have been destabilized and whose lives have been established in Christ. Foundations in the USA in the coming months and years are going to be all important in the churches. In this country, the foundations, there will be such a sifting that will come in the churches, in the Western world, in the missions in the Western world. These years that lie 
I ahead, as many as there be, there will be such a sifting. And sifting reveals foundations. Or if I change the figure, shakings reveal foundations. You remember Jesus' story about the wise and the foolish builders. You remember it so clearly about the the things that beat upon the house founded on sand. And we ought to mark this, that much that has been taking place in some lives, I'm sorry to say, there has been a, an emotional response, a mental response, but there hasn't been the revelation of Jesus Christ in the foundation of people's lives. One of the reasons why in the United States, uh, the incidence of divorce in the church has been a little higher than the incidences of divorce in the world. One of the reasons, because there's been a lack of foundation of understanding and uh, Paul says let let men consider us as servants of Christ now the word he uses for servants in verse 1 of chapter 4 is the word uperites he uses it two or three times uh, but it's a rare word but it, refer, it refers to foundations in a different kind of way. Because an operatis was, you remember the old galley ships that were, uh, didn't have particularly many sails, but they had levels of rowers that were chained to their oars. And there was a man who oversaw them, that beat the drum. And so these vessels were moved along by the sweat and the toil of these men. And the particular word Paul uses is to do with the lowest level of these rowers, chained to their oars. And sometimes there were three levels of rowers. And this one refers to the one who was at the lowest level. And this, of course, means, without being too explicit, that all that was uh, released from the levels above went down upon those who were beneath. Lowest of the low. And Paul says, this Corinthians is how I want you to think of us ministers. We're the lowest of the low. Um, And so you're back in the dimension. Foundations are not seen usually, uh, that the, the rowers at the bottom, he's thinking in the same kind of, you know, someone from India wrote to me uh, this week and uh, he was talking to me about um, 
Jesus being born in Nazareth? Um, why was it said about Nazareth uh, that uh, no good thing could come out of Nazareth? Do you remember that? Uh, why? What, what does that mean? Uh, no good thing come out of Nazareth? What are they talking about? And um, I was able to write back to my friend in India and say to him, well, uh, you realize that Galilee was not a very attractive place. It wasn't like Jerusalem. It wasn't in Judea. It wasn't a place with religious background. It was a place that was the lower stratas of society lived. It was dusty and it's the same sort of message that in the foundations of, uh, of Jesus's life, uh, Nazareth, the carpenter shop, um, wonderful really when you begin to think about these things and and that somehow these ministers and you might think well what's this um you know if a church is um coming into being with these kinds of men in their foundations these kinds of men these kinds of women and uh, you know what a church he says that paul says he was not only a servant an under rower of christ but a steward of the mysteries of god S stewards of the mysteries of god um there's an incredible humility about that statement um you see the church is out of this world that's one of the things that I realize. It, it comes from above. It's, it's not something that rises up from just the soil, but it comes down from above. And, you know, Paul talks about this. The, if, if I was to ask you, what is the first thing um, about church in the whole of the Bible, the first image of the church. I wonder what you would say. Um, the first image of the church. Would we would we go back and back and back and back through Genesis, and <clears throat> would we arrive in the garden? Um, would we arrive with the with the solitary man that had been formed by God, um, who had been uh, inspirited by the breath of God? God had formed his flesh and his body from the moist dust of the ground, and he had breathed into his nostrils the breath of lives and he became a living soul and yet he was alone he was alone and 
you you remember the the event of all those animals being brought to to Adam and uh, you know I was um, thinking often think about these things because my wife and I were reading we're reading in the book of the revelation together at the moment at lunchtime after we'd had our food <clears throat> and we were in chapter five and um <laughs> first time I'd noticed that when the lamb took the book and uh, there he was and there was the worship of the living creatures and then there was the worship of the elders and there was you know <laughs> it's a, an amazing picture and then there's this moment where all the creatures are saying they're all saying something to god <laughs> um not singing but saying if you check me up and uh, i was thinking creatures saying creatures speaking <clears throat> amazing thought um having their language and uttering uttering praises to god this is a mystery isn't it it's a little bit like adam in the garden it's a mystery um a little bit like jesus in the garden of gethsemane you know the first man in the garden failed i sought a man said god who adore my will and i found him not i didn't find him in eden i didn't find him and uh, i sought a man but i found him in gethsemane a man who would do all my will out of whose side i could take my church out of whose side i found a man in the garden of gethsemane who a few hours later would not hide behind a tree but would hang on it with the first man in the garden he hid behind the tree you see the wonder of jesus and you know that as jesus hung on the tree it was not a useless rib he took the church is not constructed out of a rib it comes from the blood and the water that flowed from jesus side when he was struck <clears throat> but going back to the first garden and the eden garden and where did the bride come from except out of adam's side and that's the first image of the church that you get is this not a mystery you see paul says he's a steward of the mysteries of god you see the church doesn't yield itself to nice organizational data it doesn't 
doesn't all click into place you know if we do this i think of um i, I think of someone who wrote to me again this week and they talked talk to me about a certain mission that serves and seeks to serve the persecuted church in these days and um, it seeks to advertise and help and so on and the people who wrote to me said they'd just been so excited to read the life book of the man who established that mission he was dutch he was i'm not mentioning names but he was dutch and i wrote back to to this um, brother and his children who'd been reading the book and so excited about the faith and the the room that this man gave to god as he drove his vw across behind the iron curtain with bibles and i wrote back to my friend my friends and i said to them i, I wish i could say that it was like that now because I happen to personally know that the organizational side of things, I happen to know that those who have been working for that mission, even in the last five or six years, they, they are expected to fill in spreadsheets of data after they've been in meetings, how many people promised money, how many people did this? How many people promised prayer? How many wanted to be put on the mailing list? And so on and so on and so on. Far cry from the mystery of an apostolic man who went out in simplicity. You see, these are the things that are going to be trimmed off the branches in the days that are to come the the ways in which god has been subtly sidelined and his place has been taken you see you mustn't depart from the dimension of the mystery of the church and when i start to talk about this first image of the church in the book of genesis don't you think a little bit about the fact what is it between a man and a woman a husband and a wife what was the first thing that in the letters to the seven churches in the book of the revelation chapters two and three what's the first thing i have this against you jesus says to the church at ephesus that you've left the love that you had at first it, it was foundational that love the, and who can explain this mystery uh, of love do you know when i've been thinking uh, about what's happened this week in the united states and I know that precious brothers and sisters will be bemused by things. And I'm not, 
I'm not being in any way political for one against another, for one against another, nothing like that. But a verse came to my heart so clearly uh, where the Lord says about his bride in the Song of Solomon, as a lily is fragrant among the brambles, the thorns, lily among the thorns. Amen. You see, the days come where this is what the church in the United States and in the West, us in the United Kingdom and in Europe, the little flocks, the insignificant lilies in the midst of this, this uh, rambling thorn bush, these brambles, these horrible things that seem to shoot out there, their thorny things, and in the midst of it, there's the church. Is this not mystery? I'm a steward of the mysteries of God, says Paul. And you you know where mysteries come from, don't you? Um, you know they come by the Spirit. That They come uh, in the sovereignty of God. They come to those who wait upon him. They come to those who examine his book, but not dominated by their mind. I had a very encouraging email from Chicago uh, this morning, early, where a brother was saying to me, I took your advice where I started to read the book of Revelation with a childlike mind. He said, not trying to penetrate all the meanings of this and that and the other, but just to read it, just to read it. You know, <clears throat> Paul is already in chapter two. These things are foundational, by the way. In chapter two, he's already talked about the spirit revealing the things. Revealing 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 and <clears throat> i'm a steward of the mysteries and then i'm back in chapter four and verse two moreover it is required in stewards that one be found faithful stewards of the mysteries um, you probably know that the word steward is the word from which we get our word <clears throat> economy. Uh, it's, it's a word that means the laws of the house, the oikonomos, the law of the house. Hallelujah. Um, stewards, I'm a steward. I, I know the laws of the house of God. That's what Paul's saying. He's either arrogant, uh, absolute no, or he's, he's telling us something very important. I know the economy of God's house. 
do you know in our church in Perth, um, back in Australia all those years ago, there was a brother who was uh, one of the top executives um, to do with the economy. He was an accountant. He would write regularly in the in the weekend papers on the economy of the world and what was happening in the economy of the world, the house of the kingdom of this world. And sometimes I would ask him questions and get him to try and help me to understand. And he once said this to me. He said, he said, Bernard, us um, economists, he said, the whole way the economy of the world works is a house of cards. We don't understand why it all doesn't collapse. That's what he said to me. The laws of the house, of the kingdoms of this world. And you know, Paul says, I'm a steward. I I know the laws of the house. They've been revealed to me. The number one law of the house, of course, is love. It's love. It's forgiveness. It's it's care. It's, you know, the laws of the house. It's humility. It's meekness. You know, Paul says, I, I know these things. And I haven't got time to develop it. But the apostles' doctrine is the realm of the doctrine that's under the doctrines. Generally speaking, in our churches, we have the doctrines. Many have espoused the doctrines, but under is the apostles' doctrine. It comes by revelation. And you may, uh, you may pray, we may pray, Lord, open my eyes, bring me into the mysteries as much as is appropriate for me, especially those of us who are ministers, because this is foundational. I'm back on the foundations. You will all know that the <clears throat> image of the church as the bride of Christ appears in the book of the Revelation uh, as a city. And you will all know that that city had foundations and the foundations had names on them and the foundations the names on the foundations were the 12 apostles of the lamb wonderful really when you ponder that at the foundation of the apostles of the lamb there they were right down underneath the, the everything had been built upon the apostles doctrine if i was to ask you about the mystery i mean how much do i understand 
the economy of the house? Do I understand it like Paul? Do I understand it like this? If I'm in chapter four again, do I understand this? Verse eight, he's talking to the Corinthians. Many of them are full of pride. Uh, You are already full. You are already rich, verse 8, chapter 4. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last. As men condemned to death for we have been made a theater a spectacle to the world both to angels and to men we are fools for christ's sake but you are wise in christ we are weak but you are strong we are dis- you are distinguished but we are dishonored To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat. We have been made the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. Imagine, we have been made a theatre. Now, I I am right in saying that um, theatres are places where people go to look. They go to see... Uh, they go to see something enacted out in front of them. Uh, we, we're the apostles. We've been set forth as men condemned to death. God has displayed us. The word there is placarded us. Um, these are the foundations of church (laughs) and uh, the Lord is displaying us yet you know how Paul says in other places but we're strong we're strong Um, you know he he talks about the the richness of what he knew um, that he was he was overcome but not overcome he was you know, without a way, but not without a way. This this man had been brought into a life of marvellous dependency, out of which the flow of God's power and his ministry and his word and his life. Uh, Yagoda, who is on, she is translating a book by E. Stanley Jones. Um, that Methodist evangelist uh, of the 20th century, his final uh, sayings, really, because 
he couldn't write when he dictated these things and they were brought together. But the little book is called The Divine Yes. Stanley Jones' favourite verse was about all the promises of God in Christ our yea and amen. And he travelled the world and he'd been used so mightily. He'd written many books. And then at the age of, I think it was 82 or 3, he had a stroke in a hotel, I think it was in Oklahoma. And there he was laying on the floor couldn't move. They had to break the hotel door down to get to find him. And as he's on the floor, he can still think, though he can't talk and he can't move. And he, he has this conversation with God. Stanley, as you have served me in health and strength, and I've enabled you and taught you, Will you serve me in this weakness? And he said, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And very gradually, God gave back the power of some speech. And he even did a little preaching. I believe he visited India again. Maybe Japan as well. And then he passed away. But the words of dying men enforce attention. And, you know, far from defeat, there was victory in this. This is the mystery, the foundational mystery. Everything that's going to be built up in your life and my life and in our churches, it must be established on not the glitter of the stages and the show and, and the band and the phenomena, but those who are what Paul says here, theatres, a spectacle to angels and to men. <laughs> what, a, what a thing this is. And, do you know, as Paul gets into chapter 4 here, God has displayed us, the apostles, last. That is, in time. You see... In the Old Testament, he displayed some of his graciousness through priests and through Moses and through Abraham, the fathers, the patriarchs. He displayed his greatness through the kings. King David comes to mind and Jehoshaphat and some of these other godly ones. And then he displayed his ways through his prophets. Oh, just think of those prophets. They each have a message in their lives. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. The, the man who was heartbroken because of what was happening to the people of God. Um, you can, you can think of Isaiah, you can think of Daniel living so long. You know, that prophecy uh, book of Daniel spans 70 to 80 years. 
he was an 84-year-old man, approximately, when he was put in the lion's den. And this man shows what it's like to be a faithful, faithful, faithful counsellor, a man of vision and wisdom at the right moments, through repeated changes of government. You, you know that, don't you? Um, the changes of government. Daniel was there when Babylon was invaded, you know, and they sealed up. Well, you know the story of how they got into impregnable Babylon and Belshazzar and the writing on the wall. You know, and Daniel had the word of mystery. He shows us. And God showed things through his prophets. Amos says, I was a, a, a man of sycamore fruit. I was a man of the field. But God called me into the prophetic ministry. But Paul says, you know, ultimately the sun shows forth the truth. But then God set us, the apostles, forth last to display the economy of God's kingdom, the mystery of the church, of the mystery of where her victory lies. It lies in weakness, where her true power lies, where, her, you know, the dependency into which the Lord brought Stanley Jones, where he lay there on the floor and he said yes to God. You know, the dependency that Paul came into, he describes a little of it here. And yet, the man is rich. So I'll finish by going back to chapter 3. Um, at the end of chapter 3, where, and I'll just read these verses, because I'll have to finish, because we promised a best part of an hour. Let no one, this is verse 18 of chapter 3, let no one deceive himself. If any among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. How about that? Talk about emptying. Talk about the stabilizing of what's been built up. You know, I, I just think of this in the governments of this world, the, the paucity of philosophy the you know i've got a friend i wrote to him a, a, a couple of hours ago and he's just going to do to take his masters in counseling in psychology because he wants to go into the prisons in ministry he's already labored somewhat there and in his letter to me he said you know i realize it's they don't really have the answers. And, and I, I wrote back to him, I'm so glad, Simon, that you understand that. I'm so glad that men's wisdom is never enough that they hit and switch on a tiny little light occasionally, but they are not the light. They can help a little bit, especially to those of us who really know the light. But here's 
you know Paul saying, wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Oh, English pronunciation, futile. Um, American pronunciation, futile. But thoughts, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. Therefore, Paul says, you, you Corinthians, don't be proud of that you're of Paul or proud of you're of Cephas, Peter, or you're so much uh, in love with Apollos and his manner. Let no one boast in men. And here it comes. For all things are yours. Oh, you poor, dependent people. In God, all things are yours. Church of Jesus Christ in the United States, in Europe, little Bernard sitting here, you in your small corner, all things are yours. Yes, there's something for you from Stanley Jones. There's something for you in this circumstance and that. There's something for you in the change of government in the United States. There's something for you. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours. There's something from God. Every event is a lesson to those humble in heart. Yes, even the workings and the machinations of wicked men Though they be not exposed as yet, they will be. Everything, all things are yours. Things present, things to come, they're they're yours. Isn't that remarkable? Because on the one hand, he's talking about this emptying, this dependency, this, we're a theatre, but a, Oh, Paul, where did you get this wisdom from? Oh, it came from him. Where did you get this resilience from? This courage, it came from him. Where did you get this patience, Paul? Where did you, where did you just receive this joy, Paul? You know, well, oh, you were peaceful in the midst of things. It's wonderful. All things are you, yours. And then he climaxes and says, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Isn't this, this is the church. Oh, church. Oh, church. All things are yours. The events that are happening now, 
you know, the disturbances that are happening now, that are, you know, destabilizing the world and shall do. All things are yours. And uh, <clears throat> you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. This has to be worked out. You know, it's not enough that there be a few men and women who demonstrate this, who are this theatre, this theatre where God placards his way. Do you remember when Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter 3, and he says, How's, you're, you're departing so quickly, you began in the spirit. You know, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was set forth, crucified among you? That's what he says in Galatians 3. However, <laughs> was Jesus Christ set forth, crucified in Galatia? when Paul was there, in the way he lived, in the way he spoke, he was part of the body of Christ. And that body is weak and yet is strong. And that body <laughs> seems foolish, but is wise. And that body, you know, and this is, you know, one of the things that a word that's been in my heart for years, the church needs to find her true identity again. She needs to find it by revelation, the mystery of revelation. She needs to find her identity. It's terrible to lose your identity and to try and reconstruct another one. <laughs> let's be flashy. Let's glitter. Let's, let's do this. Let's do that. Nothing wrong with music. Nothing wrong with something shining. <clears throat> but, you know, you can't build on it. You know, this... This is the wonder. Oh, you are all things are yours, brothers and sisters. Can I say that especially to, I don't know where you are. I think of Farasu and his wife in Afghanistan listening. And it's yours. The Lord is for you. I don't know what that means in detail, but I do know that when we are weak, then his strength is perfected. I know that <clears throat> these are the kinds of men. Can you ever imagine Jesus flying around in a personal jet? Can you ever imagine Paul <laughs> flying around, you know, with the latest Savile Row suit on, you know? Ah, uh, blessed men, blessed servants, blessed underrowers, blessed examples, blessed church that lives like this. I'll finish with this story. I'm sure some of you have heard me say it before. Ah, Tacitus, the Roman historian, 
writing. Uh, was it the third or fourth century? I can't remember. And there's a plague. People are dying. Families, as soon as one of their family shows the symptoms, they throw them out in the street. They're petrified with fear. And uh, Tacitus writes and says, those Christians, we don't know what they do in their secret meetings. It has been said that they eat babies and flesh, but I doubt that that is true because in this plague they go out and when someone is still alive in the street, suffering with the plague, they pick up that dying person and they take him into their house and they seek to nurse him. They seek to nurse him, or they seek to nurse her. They care. This is different. A theatre. A theatre of God, isn't it? It's uh, God has displayed, placarded us, the apostles last, as men condemned to death. But we've been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. Tremendous, tremendous. The Lord help us to, uh, in our measure, be founded upon these ways. Am I learning the economy of God's house? <laughs> That's my question. Am I learning when you're weak, you're strong? when you're dependent. Amen. Blessed people. An hour and ten minutes, I think, or an hour and four. So enough from me. Amen. Mark, I can't see you wherever you are, but um, I hope you're there. Uh, I'm here. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Thank you. You're you're under Tin Valley now. Yes, yeah. We actually... We actually dipped out from there, but I'm glad that everybody else seemed to carry on. We we lost you for a moment, but um, didn't seem to affect everyone else. So uh, bless you, thank you, Bernard. Thank you. Good. Okay, I think I've I think I've muted you, Bernard. I didn't I didn't mean to do that, but I have. So. <laughs> um, Good. Well, I think it would be wonderful if um, a couple would just maybe respond in prayer. Now, for this to work, uh, you need to unmute yourself. Uh, so, uh, if you would love, to, if you'd like to lead us in prayer, that would be wonderful. Uh, it'd be good to pray for one another, wouldn't it? There's um, challenging words about being a minister and uh, the bit the, the the verse that really struck me was be found faithful uh be found faithful and uh i think maybe that should be our prayer for one another in these days as we look around the gallery view and see different brothers and sisters across the world that wherever we are we would be found faithful to the lord 
and his church and his economy, his ways uh, in these days. So if, if a couple could lead us in prayer, that would be great. Just unmute yourself and, uh, and pray. That would be wonderful.